Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Sally Jackson, Philia volunteer, and I'm really pleased to be joined by Becca Molden from Scary Little Girls. Hi, Becca. Hello. And we're going to talk a little bit about Scary Little Girls and about the Green and Common exhibition. Mm. And because of that, we're in kind of a special place. Could you tell us a little bit about where yeah. we are today? Well, we're in Butterfield Green, which is just around the corner from my house, and it's one of these amazing spaces of which there are quite a few around. Um, Newington Green and Stoke Newington in general that uh, were very run down and have been put back together and really made beautiful by the community. Lots of different action groups and volunteer groups operate in this area and they just do these wonderful things where they suddenly go, let's have that back as a shared communal space that's beautiful and green and there's an orchard on the other side of it and it just means that families and dog walkers and locals and occasionally drug dealers, but everyone else as well <laughs> gets to enjoy this lovely place just thanks to the, the, the kind people who, who live around here and thought it could all be, be better. Be better, and that's yeah. proper community, isn't it? Yeah, all together. absolutely, yeah. which, you know, a good bit of theatre should feel like that, I think, and, a really, and obviously it's hugely linked to kind of Greenham. And, and historical links to this area, as well as far yeah. as feminism goes. Oh yeah, all the radical dissenting types are <laughs> all around here. We're, we're about five minutes away from Newington Green, which is where Mary Wollstonecraft, who's the, obviously one of the first radical feminists, big thinker, 18th century thinker, uh, one of the first, probably, probably the first female travel journalist. Yeah. Um, amazing, amazing person. That's where she had her school for women's big proponent of education for women. So yeah, I walk past a big sign every day that says, birthplace of feminism, and I'm just... <laughs> kind of oh, chuffed and smug. a great way to start <laughs> yes. the day, isn't it? I know, it's lovely. <laughs> so yeah, good, so it's a good area it's for no that. surprise with that sort of inspiration then that you're involved <laughs> in the work that you are. Can you tell us a little bit about Scary Little Girls? Yeah, sure. So we're a feminist theatre company and production hub and we've been going for about 20 years actually, which makes me feel really old to say. <laughs> <laughs> I like to kind of say, I think for about the last 12 years I've been saying, going for about 15 years and I had to review it and be going no that's just that lying about your age that's just weird so yeah so it's been going for about 20 years and I founded it after drama school kind of actually in a slightly me too-ish kind of thing I was very badly sexually harassed and bullied at drama school along with every other woman in my group and any woman that came in contact with my group it was an awful time uh, and I'd had a really great time at university a very left-wing uh, university where I was on a women's committee in it's one of the few universities that still has its women's officer and stuff like that so it's really right on really good so my two experiences basically and my very strong desire to make, to, to my, my love of stories, my strong desire to see more women in the arts, all kind of came together as a Venn diagram and I started my own company. And our, our, we are kind of um, constituted to, have, to always employ more women than men. So like we have to always be structuring in backstage and on stage you know, to be against the level, to try and be making a small difference again to, to level the playing field and, that's and against great the stream. That it's on all levels as well. So what, yeah. whatever aspect of the arts, the the technical, the backstage, the fun yeah, stage, all of it. Brilliant. Yeah, and we so men are very very lucky to get to work with us. They always have to be like super nice men because as soon as you start to just think about it differently there's, there's so many wonderful women to employ you kind of go why, why, why wouldn't I just keep employing them they're great and then very occasionally one guy will sort of sneak through the net and they're always like divine <laughs> and very well trained uh, so we always work with people that are just lovely basically we're very very lucky and we, we our sort of raison d'etre is to try to 
not compromise on message, but not compromise on quality either. So it's we're trying not to. It's not necessarily just we're trying not to just be like. If we feel the standard of the art has to be really, really high, especially if you have a political message, you can't really get away with it being being shoddy or polemic because people are going to be looking at you with harsher eyes. But equally, if you're going to make a very high quality piece of art, you're also not necessarily making the world a better place or you're colluding with the way the world already is if you take the, the, the cheapest, most easy route, the sexist gag, you know, you know, the, no, the no diversity in your casting, the blah, 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 all that stuff. So we're trying to do both and marry it out. And we do, I love, I, I certainly feel that, I mean, I started off as a, as a you know, a mainstream actor. I did, had an agent, I did telly, I did blah, blah, I went to a very high level drama school, which was horrible, as I mentioned, but it was very high end. And I don't feel like anything I made in that, at that time has made, left the world better than it found it. And I, what I feel now is that at least I get to make work with lots of amazing people, mostly women. And I, think, I, don't, I, I don't know that everything we do is, you know, perfect or high art or whatever. But I do feel like I stand by, you know, the effort and the, the quality of the people. And I feel like it's, it's stuff that I'll look back on and go, OK, that, that, that made a difference. That was better. That's left the world better than, it, than we found it. And I would imagine working in that way, it's, you know, on one level, the production itself makes a difference to whoever comes to view it. But we also so. it must have a positive effect on those that are involved in it. Yeah, we get a lot of fantastic feedback from people we work with and from audiences, actually. Mm. I think we, sometimes we do stuff that's quite, what I find sometimes is our work is quite hard to sell. But any audiences that come absolutely love it. Mm. And everyone who works in it loves it. And then sometimes, I, I think that's just been like being in the arts, though. Sometimes you have an idea and think, this is it. This is going. This is this is going to be so easy to move, and then it, and then it is for a couple of years, and then it just doesn't anymore. And then you start off something else, thinking, this is a great idea to me, but no one will come and see it. And then it's and it sells out. And you just it's just really hard to know what audiences are going to connect with. But once that, what I do feel proud about with us is that once they're in the doors, I think we're very good at marrying up, sort of, you know, ethics and and, and politics with joy de vivre, making people kind of arrive and, and leave wanting to do something about it, leave, leave wanting more and wanting to do more. And I think that's quite important, that, that creates f- activists. That's the, that's the message of sort of like, you know, in, in our revolution there will be dancing sort of thing. Oh, and I think there's, yeah. there's a big role for that in getting people yeah. to actually leave and imagine, and know that a better world is possible and want, and want to be part of creating that world. That's kind of what I'm trying to do yeah. with our work. And I think sometimes people need permission to, yes. to take that next step, don't they? And something definitely. like the arts is often a, a routine, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think that's definitely a really good point. Yeah, definitely. It can be, it, art can be fantastic for hitting you with all the most painful things and getting you in touch with stuff that otherwise you might avoid. But it can also be a thing that, it make, that creates change and make, makes you want to be a change maker. Once you go, what makes you want to go, oh, I'd love to go to that party. You know, I actually had a great time. Yeah. And we used to tour this fantastic all-female cabaret that we went all over like very posh bits of Shropshire and things like that. <laughs> and we never said, "Oh, by the way, this is a feminist cabaret. You're only, you're only going to see female comedians. Like you're not going to." Yeah. And, and when I say feminist, I mean there's not going to be any nudity either. Like you're going to just see, you're just going to listen to women all night. Being awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, being awesome. Because no one would come to that, especially in like rural touring sort of communities. But because we didn't say that, we just sold it as comedy and cabaret and music. They would, they, the, all these people came who were, you know staunchly of a different political agenda and they loved it and they got drunk and we had fun with them and then at the end they'd go bloody hell you're all women aren't you and it was like it was it was great yeah. so things like that some stuff we do is much more overt like the screening project that we'll talk about yeah. but some stuff we do is just like 
we're just going to do it. And afterwards, you'll work out yeah. it was all women and it was all feminism. So you <laughs> and you loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's room for both in the arts, which is great, isn't it? And I understand as well with the work that you do, you take it to, to kind of non-traditional venues. So we're not talking about everything being put on in a theatre. No, you're right. We really like that a lot. Um, so again, once you start to look about, think about diversity, I think it's a, a gift that keeps on giving in a way. You start with, so we st- I started with the idea of like, when we started to try and articulate in our teams that I couldn't be, so when we were casting, we were like, so a good rule of thumb to try and explain what we were trying to do to uh, people who are coming on board, like writers and directors who might be working for the first time, we'd be like, so for example, we tried to make me, Becca, not the oldest or the fattest person in the room. So for an actress, I'm not particularly thin at all. I'm quite a big actress, like a big sized actress. But I, as a person in the world, I'm like a dress size below the average. So I'm not a particularly big person in the world. But in the world of acting, that's huge, can't possibly be that big. So we tried to make this sort of thing of like, and, and I'm now, I mean, I, we made this up when I, was in my 40, when I was just before my 40th birthday, and now I'm 42. But again, it's very, very easy to go to mainstream theatre and see people who are much smaller than size 14 and much younger than 40 and not much of anything else. If you see any women in it at all, of course. So you start with going, let's have more women in it. <laughs> then you start going, more women who are different looking and then you start to go well different looking I mean I've only just started recently last few years mm. to work with people who are very very high-end professional actors with disabilities and I'm k- kicking myself for all the years I, I missed out on that their amazing art in my own work but uh, because I just didn't know how to, it hadn't occurred to me that was a part of this and it hadn't I didn't know how to work with them yeah. and now I'm like well shame on me and now again the art just evolves because it's got more lived experience in it and that, I think, then rolls out into how you choose where you want to work and who you want to see you. Because you grow up, you know, dreaming of the posh drama school, then going to the ROC and the blah. And actually, you will only be seen by a very, like, a very specific kind of type, type of person. But it would still be lovely to do it, don't get me wrong. If the ROC listens to this, I'm still very up, very up for anything you might have going my way. My Queen Margaret, I feel like, is still yours if you want it. However, um, I think there is this thing of, like, actually, you start to get almost like a personal challenge of it. How will, you know, these people I go to, like, to my local pub with, who are never going to go to a piece of, how are they ever going to see something? Because actually, once, now that I know Ted, I know that he'd love this, but he just doesn't have the idea of it and he'll never come. So then you start to work on stuff that you can make that doesn't need trapdoors, doesn't, doesn't even, lots of the stuff we make. We can, we've made big mid-scale tours that need everything and it's lovely. But we, we can now, we've also got a whole body of work that doesn't need even lights or sound, but just turns up, is really packed with like great performers, great writing, energy, and you can drop it into a library, you can drop it into a pub, you can drop it into a school. We do these whole things like Living Literature Walks, which actually just use where you are as set. So Newington Green, we were just talking about, we hid performers all around there, all doing pieces that were either by Mary Wollstonecraft or sort of related to radical feminism in, so we had you know, someone doing a Maya Angelou piece, we had someone signing, uh, using BSL sign to uh, put across some Mary Wollstonecraft, but all sorts of things that would, it was just lovely, and some songs, some suffragette songs, and all sorts, and people were on a basically a treasure hunt to find those, and did, did no sets, no costumes, it was just, here's these interesting places in this interesting place that you might not have been, and even if you know it really well, we're taking you to places here you've never been before that aren't usually open to the public, and you're going to find these fantastic actors in them, and it's going to be really nice. So the idea that, yeah, how do you make... Because even the concept of theatre can be so prohibitive, it's so much owned by an elite class, mm. that to deconstruct all of that and start with, well, the building is weird, there are weird rules in a building, there's weird rules to sitting in an audience, 
how do we deconstruct all of that? The, re the way we started to really learn about it actually was being commissioned to do a lot of work in, in libraries in Cornwall. We, we did some really lovely projects that the Arts Council funded in Cornwall, where I'm from, where a lot of my work is based, um, about looking at um, how to use libraries as a touring network because there's very little money in Cornwall and there's, and there's very little venues. But, there's, but every library is everywhere and they're all accessible. They're all great. Um, so you can have very diverse audiences in there. And we realise that as soon as you get an audience in a library, they behave completely differently. And they're really receptive in a, in a way that people in a, in a theatre are kind of either on their best behaviour or they haven't come because the behaviour they're expected to have makes them uncomfortable or just doesn't make sense to them or they're worried they're going to do something wrong. No one's thinking about that. If you go to your library or your pub, it's yours. And if someone else is there doing some art, they're kind of on your turf. And if they do it well, you fall in love with them and it's great. If they don't do it well, you go back to the bar and buy another drink or you leave your library and go and read a book or whatever. Yeah. And it's just... It's just, I, I actually really like that. And I think it, if you, it, it does take a certain level of, of bravery as an, as an actor, as an artist or a company coming in. But once you've got, once you've tried it, you never want to look back because there's, there is just permission given both ways, audience to performer, that I think we should all be trying to get into theatres um, and create again in theatres. And it's, it's, uh, we could be learning so much from playing alternative spaces and also from playing alternative audiences who honestly, by and large, are much more honest um, because they're not just yeah. doing the rules and then going to the bar and going, well, I have to say I'm <laughs> shocked and appalled or I'm very disappointed or whatever. They're just going yes or no right in the yeah. moment. And uh, it's lovely. It changes how you perform. It's very nice. And, to, and there's a, a huge integrity to it as well because it's very honest, isn't it, well, the way you do well, it? Well, I like to think so, obviously. <laughs> I think I think it has really great lessons, but I also think there's you know the craft the craft of theatre. But there is like there's techniques that you learn from playing big, the big strange space that is a that is a traditional theatre. What I like is the idea of both. I like that no one gets stuck doing one. Our, our industry, the mainstream part of our industry, is so snobby and clicky. You know, oh well, you can't have this part because really you're a singer dancer. But, uh, but now you're a singer dancer, we can't possibly see you for this. Or, yeah. or, or, you know, or you only play villains, so, you know, just stupid stuff like that. It's like, yeah. we've all got all these skills, actors and performers and everyone in the club, like the backstage, all the backstage team, the whole worlds of, of who makes stories. Yeah. They work so hard and they make themselves <clears throat> better and stronger and they collaborate. And I just think if you share all that lived experience, you get a way better creative yeah. experience, both to work in and to watch. And that goes, for me, that goes across the board in terms of the kind of people you work with, the kind of spaces you play. It just makes everything more interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, can I talk to you a little bit about one of the projects that you had that just mm. immediately made me think, oh, I want to see that, I want to <laughs> find out more. And it's called Wild Woman's Hour. So oh, no yes. Jenny Murray's involved. No, <laughs> although they were very nice when we phoned them about it. We tried to get them to just do a piece on it and they were like, We've People tried to get do. them to affiliate every year for oh, some reason. They've just not come out. No. Well, they are inundated. They are liberal. <laughs> they, and so they might, they have their agenda of things that they know they can. They can. Yeah. I mean, they still get in a lot of trouble for the stuff they do do. It's. Mm very unfair isn't it that we can dismiss them as liberals and the other people are like damn damn harpy witches <laughs> but they have they have to plow very middle course mm. i guess but yeah they were very supportive when we said we're That's doing this so they said you have permission to do it and then they said people do do versions of our show all over the world though so we can't really just do a show about you doing it and we're like damn <laughs> not as vicious as we thought so yeah wild women's hour is a lovely thing it's a radio thing um so we basically, it's quite old now, it's several, it's 10 years old at least. But in Cornwall, there's um, 
one amazing, there, there were a few and there's only one, but it's an amazing women's rape crisis and domestic violence centre. And we worked with them and a local community radio station that has airwaves, which is really hard to get. So they're, you know, they're, they're, they're offset, they're Ofcom. Um, and they're, so they, they have to work very hard. They're, they're very, very, they're very good. They're really lovely. Um, and we worked, we worked together to create a package where women from the Domestic Violence Centre could be trained as journalists. We got professional journalists down and we trained them in the whole thing, the editing process, the interview process, the presenting process, um, the, the digging out the stories, like everything, everything, everything. And they created their own version, like we call it World Women's Hour, but they create their own uh, monthly hourly show. It, it ran for, it won, it won awards from the European Social Forum and the BBC, because it gave them a whole set of transferable skills. And it also created some really lovely, very high level local programming, it was really nice. Yeah. And it ran for a few years, like, re like reliably every month. And then as people came and went, it goes to little packages where they sort of drop off and you think, oh, maybe that's it done now. And then suddenly someone will just start it up again. <laughs> and it's really lovely. So on and off, it's still going. That's fabulous. Yeah, every time, a, it's like, it's really like a sort of superhero. Every time a woman needs it, it's there, <laughs> something. And they do a really good job of handing each other over the skills. So they train each other, they train new people when they come in as well. It's oh, really lovely. that's gorgeous, isn't yeah, it's it? it's really yeah. nice. So it was a really nice skills swap in terms of we facilitated them to become really good at this thing that, that we'd brought people down who could teach them so it wasn't these people coming in and doing it well for them it was yeah, them learning to do it and doing it themselves it's lovely. and clearly as well as the you know the actual technical skills self-esteem self-confidence there was tons of the, yeah. actually that was a really big part of it you're right i mean we took them to the awards ceremony when their shows won awards you know not just national awards there was one that was given out by the bbc that they won but they also won one from the european social forum so it was about like projects all over europe and they like these these women that had been through like i mean a lot yeah. they created a, this is nothing to do with us but the center has this fantastic poetry book by these same sorts of women called he underestimated me and it just sums it up yeah. amazingly the ways in which they've tried to be like brutally oppressed over a, some of them for a very long time yeah. some of them by multiple abusers yeah. and um and then to be stood there getting you know international awards yeah. from from i'm gonna say i'm gonna be generous and say d-list celebrities but <laughs> but from important people yeah. Uh, it was, uh, that was really great. That was a really, I was really proud to do, just have gone with them and seen that that was really nice. Yeah. That's fabulous. So talking about fabulous women. <laughs> <gasps> yes. That's my favourite thing to talk about. <laughs> let's go to Greenham, shall we? Yes, let's. <laughs> so one of the pieces that you do is, is this touring exhibition about the Greenham women. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, that comes out of a bigger project. So I'll, I'll start with that if that's yeah. okay, and then come back to the... I'll sort of sandwich it because we've got stuff coming up as well around it. Um, so um, I was a Greenham baby. I was visited as a child, basically. So uh, I, my mum was a local CND activist, uh, got arrested, singing in front of Margaret Thatcher's car, stuff like that. She was very cool. And then she and she went to Greenham and she took me with her. And I have really great memories of things like Embrace the Bass. Like amazing, amazing stuff there with all, all women. Uh, and my dad would make sandwiches for the for the crash, and you know look after look after the kids, and uh, like so my mum could do like do all this stuff. And when you when you talk to Greenham women, they they they're either gay or they or they say, oh I, I was married at the time, of course I'm not with him now. <laughs> and then you know that he didn't make the sandwiches, or they say, oh yes he uh, he 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 made the sandwich. If only made you a cup of tea when you came in, he's just upstairs now. You know, so the one the men that managed to stick in there, but were, were, are the ones that bloody just went. 
anything you want to do, darling, this seems amazing and not for me. Like, I'm not supposed yeah. to, like, I, I won't have a walkie-talkie, you're right, I'm not to be trusted. And they would make sandwiches and run yeah. the crash and all that stuff and, they, and bring supplies and they were, they, they were the great men. Yeah. So, so basically, I got, there's obviously loads of stuff that I think is interesting about Greenham, we could talk about that for hours, but essentially, it's a hugely successful piece of activism that radicalises a generation of women who then have children and, uh, and radicalise them, or if they don't have children, or as well as children, or whichever, they also then become social workers, teachers, lawyers, barristers, nurses, doctors. There's a really high level of the kind of caring and progressive professions that they go into. So these women like change our society on a very fundamental level. And I now speak to women younger than me, so anyone I speak to under 40, never heard of it. And I'm like, how can something that is still ha- actually going on, those, like, lots of those women are still, they're, all, still like, they're still active, they're still in campaigns and they're still in life. Uh, how can we already not, not know they did this? This is the biggest female-only activism since suffrage. How dare we as a culture not know about it? It's cultural robbery for women not to know that, that sort of stuff is possible. And to be constantly having to reinvent the wheel because we won't let them see their own presence, their own history. It's quite purposeful, isn't it? You know, Very. How can you have yeah. so much happen and yeah. it not be talked and about? And it be not on the so smothered. Yes, not, yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's so, and women, lots of women have come up to me since I'm doing this project who are students who have been studying politics and social change and doing all sorts of they're, they're looking for this and they're saying this wasn't even on our syllabus. You're like, well, how dare they? That was my closest to being a swear there, sorry. <laughs> How dare they? So, um, so me and my wonderful, wonderful co-coordinator, who's a fantastic woman called Kate Caro, who um, runs... She's actually a fantastic playwright. Uh, we trained together. She's a wonderful actor, and now she's a fabulous playwright and novelist. She's just really sick of us. She's an amazing, amazing writer. She runs an amazing online resource called The Heroine Collective. So, um, so she and I got together with you know, good friends, we were talking about it, and we decided we'd pitch this, this project to the Harris Lottery. And the project was, we want to interview, I think we said originally like 50 Green and Women, and then turn that into a pop-up exhibition, and, and a website where they would be forever accessible. You could Google it, and you would find like 50 women. But of course, we put a shout-out out there, I and mean, fantastic, the Harris Lottery, um, who we work with closely in the Southwest, which is lovely. They, they were brilliant and totally have supported it all the way through and funded it. Um, they, they, we've actually um, so we've got the funding everything, but actually when we put the shout out out, like so many more women than we thought came forward, and so we've actually interviewed. I think there were over a hundred women now, wow. from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, all different ages. Some on their own, some in groups, some with parents and or, or children. Um, women that's just just some women that, just, that, that lived there for years. You know, some women that just went once and then like carried Greenham home. You know, yeah. took it into the rest of their lives and never looked back. Like every single type of experience you could have had if you'd been there we've got in our archive we if I, just last week i interviewed a barrister who put together their court cases and came up with the idea that it was it was self-defense because they were defending like that it was it was a so clever it was a, it, 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 we were all in danger and they had to be protected like we were, they were doing something because it was present danger to them and to everyone they cared about so it was a self-defense argument and it allowed them to these huge kind of show trials where they got people in to prove how dangerous every single level of making a weapon was. They got human rights lawyers from South Africa in to talk about the uranium workers and how badly they were treated, the state of the mines. And so, like, really clever, everything, all the things, all the things. So, um, so the project is basically about how having an archive for that that lasts, you know, forever. And 
um, the more celebratory side and the more immediate side and the stuff I suppose that comes out of more me and Kate being creatives uh, is the pop-up exhibition which we actually there's there's three other people that are involved in that which is Christine Bradshaw who's our fantastic photog- photographer there's uh, Rachel Milnes who's our uh, Mills, who's our um, uh, academic and, and an artist who is working with us from the University of uh, of West England in Bristol she's made the exhibition designed and made it she's great um, and uh, and there's also Sarah Llewellyn who's our sound designer so the way the pop-up works is that it's hosted by usually one of us as a volunteer and a green and woman just there to chat to you all day and it really is just a little pop-up but we've made it quite I think it's quite an intense like immersive little thing so you get table with green and woman and volunteer and some postcards and bits and pieces and us jiggling a tin at you you know um, but also then you get this this tent that you sit in and it's the tent itself is uh, printed with archive it's really I won't tell you too much about it because it stands I mean it's just a piece of art in itself but it's come from all the stuff that the women collated themselves their own photographs their own memories there's stuff on there about women that were killed like a woman that was, was killed and there was never any justice for it there's but there's loads of celebratory stuff there's loads of the actions the data life of the camp it's an amazing to stand and look at but then if you go inside um there's uh, a piece of sound art on some headphones which is wonderful beautifully made by sarah llewellyn um and it's about about 15 minutes long and it's about not, probably eight or nine voices um, at the whole collection. It's just because it's hours and hours, hours of footage, but they are wonderful. And they and the, she's managed to make this arc that just gives you this amazing view of like all the like the day-to-day stuff, the police interactions, the actions, they t- the breaking into the base, the court cases, mm-hmm. but also the, the their their sort of wisdom, their spirit, their opinions. God, it's it's lovely, oh, wow. and you can really hear how different all the women are, and yet how how much they unified around their actions and how much they all collectively like gained from the experience yeah, it's so lovely solidarity of yeah and just the same aim and, and having yeah. your mind blown in the same way of, of suddenly living where there are no men and you only have to look after yourself and each other and what that changes like this massive it's almost impossible to fathom if you've never experienced it and most women never experience it and it is really radical and it really changes how you then perceive everything else you're told to do it makes you reevaluate. I think everything that you think you should or shouldn't do, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's been dropped from consciousness because it is hugely effective way of women to go for women of making women go. Oh, I don't need to have any man's permission for anything. I can just do. I can just make a better world myself. This is great. Far too dangerous. Far too dangerous. Exactly. So we're delighted. Or just to have dangerous you enough. Yeah, exactly. Just dangerous enough. So, yeah, it fits perfectly for Philia. It's a great, perfect environment so, for it. <laughs> so, and Philia is one of the places where the touring exhibition is coming yeah. to. So anyone coming to the conference will yeah. have a chance to, to talk to, to our green women um, and to hang out with us and to look at the, the, the postcards are a mixture of some of the portraits that Christine Bradshaw has gone all over the country doing for us, the fabulous, of, the, of the women now, and to look, look at, be in, enter the world of the tent. It's really nice. It should be. I think it'll be lovely. I'm really looking forward to. And I, I think you've it. just done Manchester. Is that right? Yeah, Where that's else right. Are you about in case you know people might catch it. Well, it would be. Or... We've got a really great. It's going to be a great website, but at the moment it's a holding page as we build it. But it's got the tour exhibition down the side of it. So greenandwomeneverywhere.co.uk. If you look at that, that's uh, got where we're going, um, and some of the places we're going have got talks. So I know, for example, that we're going to do a talk. Um, at the Greenham, so Greenham Common, one of the really great things about the Greenham Peace Movement 
uh, is A, they managed to get cruise missiles not to be held at the base. Pretty awesome. But then they just stayed on. A load of them didn't leave. That was like only halfway through the camp's yeah. history because it's there for like 20 years. And the reason they, that the Burundi stayed on stage is because they wanted the camp to be given back as common land, which I just think is brilliant. So they basically uh, succeeded. It is now common <laughs> land again, back from the American, back from the military. Yeah. Uh, and so they've, the, a, a whole other set of volunteers and very sweet people there have turned the watch, ta- the, the command tower um, that was the centre of, of, of the hub yeah. of, you know, yeah. of control the in the bay, side. the military yeah. side, into a little museum which is hilarious because it's very, it's just, it's like half the locals love the green women, half the, them love military. So it's just like a cafe for everyone. <laughs> it's like a little museum space, like, and on the walls, it's like, it's all painted a fairly neutral colour. And on the walls, there's like a quote from Commander so-and-so, so-and-so, and then a, you can't kill the spirit by the green women, <laughs> like all painted up on the same walls. It's hilarious. I really love it. I really love it. And I love the, the people that run it. They're a really lovely bunch. Um, anyway, they, they're having us for two days and we've just, we're going to do a talk there on the 6th of October with one of my, well, it's just a fantastic Green Woman's going to join us for that, probably several Green Women will join us for that because quite a lot in the area. It's just, that'll be a really nice one, I think. So come and see us for that, come and see us at Philia. We've got a lot we're doing in Cornwall because I'm down there and I've, I've got a big base in there and there's a lot of peace activism and climate change activism down in Cornwall. Excellent. So we've got quite a few, they'll, they're not up yet, they're just being finalised, but there'll be a whole run of things in the southwest. Um, so that's worth having a look at. But later in the that will all be in December. Um, and I guess the next thing we're doing is we feel like this is just the beginning. So we're hoping that we can extend the exhibition dates. We're hoping we can programme some live interactive stuff around that. So we want to commission some new art around it. We're fundraising at the moment to get people like Jackie Fleming and Diane Goldie to, um, who's a big fan of Philia, um, to, um, that's one was at conference at Philia, I saw Diane Goldie there actually. Um, and uh, we're getting them to make to make new responses to the work. Um, we're, we're trying to do nights uh, and and act, sort of actions around the, the the pop up, so that green and women who are artists can come along and show their own work, or that so we can have sing alongs because song and music is a huge part of green and lots of the green women even if you have said, how can we all see each other again? How can we you know be be together? How can everyone be able to join and feel some of the spirit that we had in those campfires? So we're trying to make those, and we need money for that. We need money to sustain the existing exhibition, um, and we have a, and we're going to also put in for lottery funding from the Heritage and the Arts Council probably to extend the the exhibition and to dis, and to do a really great job of disseminating the archive. So I, I'm going to go back to the Heritage Lottery and say, oh, can you please give us one minute so we can change, so we can now look at just the archive itself and make it into podcasts, make it into a board game. I want to try and get some money, try and make it into a into a computer game. That'd be so fun. <laughs> So you make your own avatar and you give her her own buzz cut and put her in whatever dungarees you want. And, oh, oh, wow. Great. Yeah, I, I don't want to play that. I know, me too. <laughs> so there's always ideas for stuff I want to do next. And if anyone's listening and wants to help me with anything, please come and help me. And what we really need immediately, because we've totally overspent part of anything else and we're now like slightly in dubious financial position as a company, we really need to... Um, to uh, get people to help us with our GoFundMe campaign. It's all leading to a big plug, sorry. But we do yeah. have this great, if you just Google Green and Women GoFundMe, ours comes up on the GoFundMe site. And we're just trying to make some money in the in, the, in between, like so to basically to, to do those kind of live parts of it and to get those, to get those, to get the women back in the room and get people interacting with them and to keep the conversation going and get the pop out further. and just kind of building the momentum yeah. of getting that conversation to exist getting and getting as many audience in as getting as many young people in so that, that conversation can never ever be lost again and it's so important we don't 
lose this history, isn't it? Oh God, it's vital. Because otherwise you would just, you just, women are just having to, basically men get to stand on the shoulders of giants Mm -hmm. and our giants are all there, but they're they're deliberately hidden from us. And this is a way we can go, here are your giants, climb on their shoulders, they're ready for you. They just want to see what you're going to do next, you know, fly my pretties, you know. And also I think for me, it's the importance of it is not, it's it's interesting, you know. You learn mm. something, but actually, it inspires women to do something about absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah, we, we do absolutely. And and women do it. Like it's not like we don't. But it's like, but if you can, if we can just bring all the powerful elements together, yeah. you can do more, can't absolutely. you? It's also really interesting, I think, because the law and the police and the state, they learned a ton from Greenham. They changed a lot of laws because of Greenham. They made it harder to do this stuff and and every time you know people make it hard people make something harder for you you evolve and adapt and and become better so you can outsmart them when you need to and if we're not if we're not as activists sharing those amazing lessons that the green women have got to, to to give us then we're just not evolving and the police and the state are evolving instead and it's like well that's just a real that's i mean and as we know like as radical feminists i believe that you know the institutions themselves are are, are institutionally sexist yep. so they I don't want the institutionally sexist institutions to get better at doing sexism I want, I want us all to get better at changing those yeah. things going back to the root the you know peacefully deconstructing um the stuff that doesn't work and building the kind of really fantastic world that we know we actually all deserve and could live in full of you know fat oh. happy women that, that sounds like a wonderful place to finish. Thank you so much, Becca. It's been great chatting to you. We'll put the links on the website as well so that when people can access them. And oh, lovely, I thank hope you. we are able to raise some funds for you because I'm kind of hoping, actually, looking forward to this year, but maybe we might even get you back next year. That'd be wonderful. Let's see what we're doing then. Maybe we could do a whole Greenham singing, maybe. <laughs> sounds great. That'd, That'd be, be so cool. <laughs> thank you.